0: Oh, what up, guys and girls! It is Bobby and Sean, and we are back. We gotta stop um, doing this. We gotta stop doing this.
1: We gotta stop doing. It. I mean, but it's like we're busy. I don't. I know people want to get our hot takes on. I mean, for instance, we've missed pulling out of Afghanistan. We're now only up to soft influencers and green berets taking the Navy yes. SEAL throne for influencing. Yes. And I feel like there's another big story that we've missed. Uh, we're really topical, if you can't tell. We've we've prepared so much for for you, our our avid listeners, but we've not forgotten uh, that we're currently sponsoring this uh, broadcast through the benefactors known as Ten Thousand Great Fitness uh, Apparel Company, and this month, ten uh, percent of the proceeds from their uh, Tactical Athlete short line are going to Cronus Fit, and so we are. Really, really grateful uh, for, for this continued partnership. It's going to help with the scholarship program. So if you are transitioning, apply. There's no barrier to entry here. It's it's literally a very short application. Get, get them in. We've got about a month, month and a half before uh, application window closes.
0: Yeah, I will say that the, uh, the Tackle short is actually probably my favorite short from them, from 10,000. Um, it's super lightweight, very flexible. It's like all of all the shorts that I've tried from theirs. theirs is my favorite for working out in, uh, highly recommend grabbing a pair of those shorts because they, they they're really good shorts. Um, Yeah, I'd absolutely agree. Solid black. So, you know, if you're, you know, for PTs, you could probably get away with them wearing for PTs because they're solid black. Um, but yeah, great shorts.
1: Yeah, I have the clay colored ones and I think they're, they're really good for making my eyes pop. Uh, Which is, I think, the most important part of working out because you need a. That way, you don't have to put on, you know, one of those like Rio filters to make, you know, your gaze look ever more present and alive in your whatever squat mid kettlebell swing movement that you're doing.
0: It's gotta look good. I mean, that's what it comes down to for anything. Yeah, I look cool doing it.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that's the only reason I joined the army and I joined at a branch like the infantry. I just knew that over time, I would have access to the best opportunities for cool guy photos. I'd be around people that knew how to pose for cool guy photos, because let's be honest, if you're in a branch where you only get to touch a 50 cal once every two years, you're not going to be with the experienced veterans who know how to angle their photos. Having touched this device 50 60 times you know you you don't know what angle you really need to really capture the is this in combat or is this at fort irwin i don't know your followers won't but you're starting to get like you know five thousand likes so that's the whole point
0: i guess well that'll, that'll lead us into our first topic of the day um which i imagine will be the fake uh soft influencers on the gram now which i'm sure you're referencing uh that one Green Beret dude, I don't even say his name because I don't give him any credit.
1: No, and I don't even know why we refer to him as that one Green Beret dude, just that one regular dude. Who, I, I don't know what's worse, creating a fake persona online, which I think we've seen, we talked about exposing it a couple weeks ago. Creating a fake persona or being part of the collective that bought into it, that completely ate up everything this person said. Maybe from a, a conventional side of the house, you know, you look at soft and you, you're very impressed by these individuals. But it's just one of those, I've never put anyone up on that kind of a pedestal. And I surely wouldn't put someone that I feel like I could have gone and done the exact same thing that they've accomplished. It's not like, you know, I'm idolizing some F1 driver. It's a regular person that passed selection in Q course. You yourself can do the exact same thing.
0: Yeah, I think it's uh you know, we talked about like the stolen dollar thing, but it's just like I think especially in social media, it just highlights the um kind of the shortcomings or kind of the fallacies of social media and that you don't exactly know what you are buying into or subscribing to or liking or, you know, developing a relationship with because ultimately, at the end of the day, everything on social media is pretty much, you know, a fake image that somebody else is trying to project. And the one dude that I'm referencing was, like, I think he was, like, a National Guard dude. And then, like, created this, essentially, this social media identity that he was, like, an ex-Green Beret. He was talking about, like, selection, or, like, give advice about selection. When he, in fact, had never gone to selection or was even an active duty service member. And if like go to his Instagram, it's all, like, these pictures and, like, cool guy, like, Kit, Like, and that, you know, it's essentially LARPing. That's all he's doing is LARPing. It is. It's LARPing
1: with people that have had access to it, though. So it's a it's a, it's a, a more refined LARPing. You have to know what you need. You can't just go out and make a foam sword. Like, you're spending thousands of dollars to LARP. Oh, yeah.
0: Like, yeah, thousands and thousands of dollars to go LARP. Which um you know I don't like really bring up like other social like other you know soft Instagram companies, but there's other companies out there that are kind of known for releasing like the cool guy pictures with like the blurred out faces and stuff. Which you know in my mind it's just literally just glorified LARPing, and then the videos of like them clearing like rooms and stuff, and like but it's an empty room, and an oh, abandoned yeah. <laughs> warehouse, and it's like you know that might look kind of cool cause you like put some like filters on it and there was some cool guy like music on it. But like in the, the day it's literally grown men running around in a warehouse pretending to clear a warehouse with people videotaping it, literally LARPing.
1: It, it comes down to what is your presence about? Bobby and I have both, we've put photos on, on our Cronus fit showing maybe training that we've conducted training with you know some of the other rangers or you know some men from my first unit which was not soft but never to the degree where we're taking these photos and trying to project that we're the end-all be-all it's more of a hey this is the cool photo that we have for today most of our not i say most 99 percent of our photos are on uh was it dvids is that yeah yeah they're,
0: they're all of, open source
1: they're all open source you just go grab them you can literally search our Our methodology to our influencer life on Cronus Fit is comprised of getting photos showing fit individuals doing cool stuff, but then the bulk of what our post is about is either the functional fitness or the military prep workout for that day. And there's no hiding the magic eight ball. It's not clickbait. Uh, Fortunately, I don't think we have too many bots that follow the site. But most of it's just getting out there. I just don't like the the Instagram monetization that that I think a lot of these people are trying to buy into, where they we've been people have reached out to us to talk about knives, to talk about holsters, uh, to sell shirts with a lion's head on it. I, I can't, I'm I'm losing track of some of the other offers, but it's like that's not what
0: supplements, we're supplements.
1: Yeah, you know. not that's not us, and and if and if you follow us, you know that it's not us. So it's even it's almost aggravating to get these these kind of sponsored clickbait ads of will you review this knife it's a tactical knife no dude i won't i i've only used a knife to open an mre so whatever cool guy thing you're gonna think i'm gonna do with this is gonna be uh, it's gonna thoroughly let you down
0: yeah and uh, you know at the end of the day i think like you know our social media isn't really in the classic sense of a social media like you know we don't put like our social media is literally just a venue that we put the workout out for the day. And if we could just put it like blank picture, a black picture, you know, I'm sure we wouldn't get as many likes or follows, but that's literally the intent is just to put the workout out for the day.
1: I mean, there's a huge difference though. we've posted and I've tried it a couple of times where we just put our logo up on a photo and we get like a fourth of the likes. We get the same amount of views, but a fourth of the likes. And it's one of those. Okay. I, I guess nobody likes our logo, but it's, I don't know, it's weird. I, if, for, for those of you that follow the page and have like tried to follow me or Bobby individually, I'm sorry if like, I don't know you, Uh, we don't have a relationship on my personal Instagram. That thing is private And, and like, I love the Cronus Fit family, but I mean, that's, that's my private point. And I think people that bleed this private public image are the ones that are typically getting involved with either inflating their experiences or straight up just stolen Valoring, uh, Instagram and Facebook.
0: Yeah. You know, I have my, like my personal Instagram is private. Um, but if there, some people will try and follow me and then generally speaking, my rule of thumb is that if we have mutual acquaintances, I will kind of let it slide by, but if it's on like yes. random some like random, like, uh, I don't know, some like random international person with like a zero like, posts Arabic. and yeah. yeah, with Arabic in the name, probably not going to follow it. We'll let you follow me. I'm sorry, dude.
1: Well, there's some that I've, I've looked at just for fun and it's following 6,000 people followed by three and zero posts. Yeah. Like that's just, that screams red flag. And of course I'm going to accept cause I want to see where this goes, but the, the influencer game has never been something that i've been interested in Uh, i know it's not something that you've been interested in but i think it's the product of today's environment where individuals want personal credit for things that are probably more either team-based or just simply i I don't know there's a whole bunch of information out there already you don't need to fill that void
0: although i will say that um some of the guys that have followed or some of the people that followed me from Cronus fit have actually like reached out um, to like my personal DM saying that, you know, that you or I were like a huge inspiration for them and, you know, push them or help them to motivate them to get to their goals, which I think is super cool. Um, so I do think that there, there is a, you know, a venue for that and that um, getting feedback back from, Guys that we have, you know, somehow helped along the way, whether it's given them some, you know, some workout plans or, you know, just been there, like, showing them what, like, right could potentially look like, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, there's definitely people that I've followed back or that follow my personal one that I know are, you know, part of the Cronus Fit community because typically we've established some sort of a communication with Cronus Fit prior to. And so there's that there's that relationship that we've developed. Um, and, you know, by no means, this is not us saying we don't appreciate the Cronus Fit followers. It's just one of those things where there's a there's a private component to what we do versus the public-facing image of, you know, a small nonprofit, which is Cronus Fit.
0: Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, social media is rife with these fake idols and... You know people that are trying to sell you a product or sell you an image or create you know an identity for themselves and that you know i think it's a uh, you know it's it would behoove people to not place as much uh an emphasis on social media as most people probably do i mean i'm guilty of it too like i scroll through my instagram probably for like 30 minutes an hour a day i really try not to do too much you know uh kind of use it as like a when i'm pooping you know look at my scrolling through my phone while i'm pooping or something like that but you know the mindless scrolling probably isn't good for you either
1: no i i try to do maybe i'll check Cronus fit twice a day to see if we've got any messages if people are reaching out to to ask about you know programming we, we get a lot about ranger school throughout the year so i'm happy to answer those and then my personal one i'm checking twice a day too it's just that double tap on the icon but I'm more guilty of scrolling on a YouTube. I have maybe ten or twelve subscriptions that I follow on on YouTube, and uh, especially when like I'm in the bathroom, I'm watching at least one video to two videos of a of a six to fifteen minute, you know, clip of something. Whether it's you know F1 triathlon related, mm-hmm. um, I'm following something on a chef that cooks on a small yacht. And the daily goings on of cooking for thirty plus people in like a one hundred fifty square foot uh cabin space, so that's that's what my hobbies are currently.
0: yeah, I look at my phone um as far as my screen time, and it looks like I average about two to two and a half hours a week or a day on screen time over a week um of which, you know, approximately an hour is on Instagram a day. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me, I can see those. Let me see my stats. Oh, this is going to be oh, so. Oh man, that's embarrassing. Where's your screen but, time? Uh, if you like oh, scroll all to the way to the left, sorry for the for the listeners, it's probably going to be really stupid for the next couple of minutes.
1: <laughs> Let's say uh, day. Well, that's day. I want to see what like the week average is.
0: We're going to listen to Shaw and be a boomer now, trying to figure out his phone.
1: Hey, do you double-click the circle at the bottom? <laughs> I don't know. I think it it says that I'm at like two hours, and 35 minutes of that is uh, Instagram, but then 35 minutes is YouTube. And then, of course, giffies because I'm always searching for GIFs, because I'm an adult man, and I can't answer in regular words. I have to
0: use moving images. Yeah, but... uh. It's kind of. I remember like the, I can't. Remember, I wonder what the uh, the average screen time is for American.
1: Oh, I bet it's somewhere north of five to six hours.
0: Uh, so let's see. Googling it, it shows average adult spends about three and a half hours a day on their phone.
1: That makes sense, especially three if you're in an office
0: environment. Day. Yeah. Well, if you, I think it's just like looking on your phone. So you know. I have tried in the past to like kind of limit my screen time down to like two hours or less per day but generally speaking in the hospital too like some of that is actually like productive like work like I'm actually like looking things up not like fucking around like on social media but that's like a, you know a thing to be uh, another um, point of emphasis that you can make in your own personal life is like reducing the screen time because ultimately you know you're not doing anything productive by sitting on Instagram or Facebook or anything like that
1: yeah. And people often asked us what our fitness regime is on a daily basis, what we're eating on a daily basis. I think the most important one is what does our screen time look like? And so I'm happy to answer this. I'm waking up around 445. I will check uh, my emails. I have too many email accounts I have found. I think I have six email accounts. I don't know why, but I do. And I'll make sure I don't have anything pertinent. I've got uh, my third year of school coming up. So um, helping out with orientation and serving it as an advisor. Hashtag someone's about to be blessed um, with my advising. And then I think I, that's when I check Chronosfit for the first time. If I'm not posting that day, uh, I'm going and liking the post from my private account. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I'm spending that time in the morning, which I have about 45 minutes of uh, with my girlfriend. Uh, before I go and do some sort of a cardio workout uh, or go to the gym and then I'm back I'm going to work and I'll check it throughout work you know maybe a couple hours here off and there uh, texting with her when I get back though I'm done with my phone I, I try to I try to limit my phone's influence on on my personal relationship it's who else do I need to talk to if my parents need to get a hold of me my sister or if Bobby, I've got the thing on loud. I'll put it on a a, a charger and I won't touch it because otherwise, what's the point of being with somebody if you're going to be distracted looking on your phone? I mean, how many dates have have you gone on and seen couples literally sitting across from each other just scrolling on their phone as if the other person's not even there?
0: Yeah, that's one thing that Christina and I have made more of an active effort to improve on is like limiting the phone time when we're with each other. You know, at dinner time, we have a no phone rule at dinner time, and something that we started doing recently within the last like six months is that for dinner time, you know, we sit down at the table and like face across from each other at the table, and then put the phones away, don't watch, don't have TV playing in the background, and so it's just the two of us talking about our day. I think that's done like a great thing for our for our relationship, um, but you know, it's something that I feel like maybe in like modern day society, it's harder and harder to to sit down and have like a distraction-free conversation slash meal with one another um so it's something that we've done that you know has made i think a big difference in our relationship
1: i think that's awesome i really enjoy my time at night when it's just the two of us hanging out i've also tried to and it's difficult because i don't know if you can tell on the screen we just got a new 75 inch flat screen because that that's necessary for an 800 square foot apartment. <laughs> um, it looked much smaller in Costco when it was on sale, but we moved the other TV into our bedroom, which I've always been opposed to having a TV in the bedroom, mm-hmm. just because I think it 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 can get in the way of intimacy, and I don't ever want to be the person that like falls asleep with the TV on because no. like that's not the point of having a bedroom, but. I sometimes try to make the effort of if we're going to bed at 9 or 9.30, even though we're not going to fall asleep till 10, 10.30, at least that's some more quiet time between the two of us where we can just talk, like goof around, just really just bullshit with one another and not be distracted by Dairy Girls on Netflix, which is an incredible show if you haven't watched it. Uh, it's about a bunch of Catholic school girls in Ireland in the 1990s played by actresses, excuse me, actors that are our age. It's hysterical. Uh, sorry for that tangent. But th- there's so many good shows that you can get caught up in. And the next thing you know, it's 1030 at night and I haven't said a word uh, to Meg next to me. And it's just, it's frustrating. Like, that's not the way your relationship's supposed to function.
0: Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think it's a very, you know, um, high level and very aware of, you're very self-aware of kind of your relationship because I think a lot of people, you know, fall into that trap of always having a screen always having some distracting. And then, you know, while you are having spending time together, you're not truly spending time together, you know?
1: Yes. So if you're one of those people that has a TV in your bedroom and you're falling asleep to it, uh, don't, you know, try to, try to do something. I, if you can't do every night with your significant other at a dinner table, try like one two nights a week or if you know on the weekends you're definitely going to have time go and have a date night but don't literally don't bring your phones think think about like all the people that really need to get a hold of you in an emergency situation that probably won't occur and so you're not going to hear from them and if you get back to them 30 or 45 minutes after you get back from going out to dinner it's not the end of the world i know we live in like this age of immediate reaction and responses but uh, one of my buddies that I was at hood with and then at Carson and, and he was up at two seven five, I wouldn't get responses from him on text messaging. And I loved it. It was like, Oh my God, this, I want to be like, like this guy. Cause he is, he is completely hanging out with his wife. He does not give a shit about the phone. He's just all about his relationship and he's not being distracted. It's like, that's what I want to emulate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's just like, uh, you know, part of like, modern society too and then just, just from like a physiological standpoint too like limiting the screen time before you go to bed too is also a good thing to help you get better night's sleep um, just from like the blue light standpoint and like distractions and you know you want to wind your brain down and have a good night's sleep stuff like that so not just from a social psychosocial standpoint but also a physiological standpoint you know the screens are not necessarily a good thing and should not be well, part of your wind down routine
1: speaking about physiological and winding down in bed, I've seen two reports now that uh, male sperm count is down 50% in, like, Western industrialized countries. And I'm wondering if you've seen any reporting on that uh, or can comment on that. And I know that this is a huge left turn from what we've been talking about, but I, I, I had just seen another video before we started recording on it.
0: Yeah, actually, there's a lady on Joe Rogan. She was like a Harvard professor of biology or chemistry, biology or something like that. Where her re- her PhD and her research is basically oriented around um, uh, reproductive health, and basically uh, it's multifactorial um, as far as to it's also decreasing, like drop of testosterone too. Like the, the testosterone is lower than before. Um, so there's several you know hypotheses that's related to why this happens. Um, as far as like diet goes, we're talking about eating a lot more processed foods nowadays. Uh, pl- processed foods that are wrapped in plastic, so there's some sort of uh, plastic leaching into the food um, that causes uh, some. Uh, like BPA is a very common known uh, plastic agent, but a lot of plastics are there. Are some, there are organic compounds, so they have like carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, similar to human organic compounds. Which can cause effects in the body. BPA is a well-known uh, plastic contaminant that mimics uh, estrogen. It's very similar in, in structure to estrogen, so the thought is that uh, BPA could bind to your estrogen receptors and fool your body into thinking that you have excess estrogen. Um, that's just one of the multiple multiple like plastic compounds that have could have biological effects inside your body. So there's the there's that aspect of you know food contamination from plastics there's aspect of processed foods like we know about um you know all these processed foods like all the you know vegan foods nowadays are just hyper processed foods um which you know take like the whole foods then process it reduce kind of like the bioavailability of nutrients reducing the vitamins minerals etc um so there's that aspect there's the aspect of people just more sedentary nowadays lack of physical activity um you know people are sit all day on the couch or sit all day in the office they don't spend time like expressing their fitness or even working out Now people aren't like lifting weights as much um so you don't have that um, extremely anabolic response to lifting weights um so and and you know a huge factor like multifactorial you can talk about like um kind of more esoteric causes like electromagnetic radiation from like cell phones and shit like that Um, But ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, it's multifactorial in that people are living a less active and less healthy lifestyle that's causing the general, you know, public and American population that generally reduce the testosterone levels and reduce uh, fertility and sperm count.
1: So you're telling me when I sit on the toilet and I'm watching YouTube, my phone is at the same time. Killing my reproductive capabilities. How how close do you think that electromagnetic wave has to be to your nether regions?
0: It's all. This is like all like positive. Like I don't. I'm not a huge like believer in electromagnetic radiation, but you know there is like, you know, energy that leaves your phone and goes into like the the nether sphere around you. Um, that was like a common thing that like guys or people were saying they had more. And since of brain cancer from cell phones. I don't think they ever proved that epidemiologically speaking, but that kind of makes sense. You know, if the the phone your phone draws like information from around it through the like, radio signals, so you imagine there there's some kind of electromagnetic radiation that goes around.
1: I know a lot of soldiers and rangers and I that I served with had a lot of issues and and uh, you know issues. I guess is a good word with trying to get pregnant with their spouses. And had to do IVF Which is incredibly expensive The army doesn't cover it Which I think is shocking I That is When I look at How much we wasted And we'll get on Afghanistan here in a minute How much money we wasted in Afghanistan But we can't set up You know, America's sons and daughters To get pregnant By a group that I would generally consider To be above average uh, Of our American counterparts it, that That's upsetting. I feel if we have all these capabilities, the Army at least should be helping with, uh, of all these surgeries, helping get couples pre- you know, pregnant.
0: Yeah, you know, it is a shame the military doesn't do it, but I think that especially in the special operations or just in the Army or any military in general, we're exposed to a lot of weird industrial compounds that most normal civilians aren't exposed to you know for example in a shoot house or even just going to the range every time you shoot you know there's lead dust that comes out from your rounds you know there's lead dust everywhere so you can talk about lead poisoning or like lead overexposure so increased level of lead in service members then you talk about like the all the industrial chemicals that service members you know are exposed to like you know like cleaning weapons like the CLP, that stuff is pretty sure is carcinogenic. And then you with the I don't know if you remember like Bradleys, like you know that the goop that they would like spread on like the, uh, on like the, uh, the the thirty cal or fifty cal. Oh,
1: dude, this is all foreign to me. I was in my Bradley once. That that is my mech experience. But I got it checked on the uh, the old tracker for branch.
0: Yeah, but it's just like uh, you know, especially like in the, in the military, like you were exposed to probably you know a lot more. You know probably not good for you substances and chemicals that you know the average civilian isn't exposed to like you know like imagine like as a private like you're just told to like go clean like the 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 company bay and you're given like a tub of like this industrial strength like cleaner that like, clearly says like you know don't touch your hands don't touch your skin and like people still do it because they don't know anything oh, yeah. and they're like an 18 year old private that they can't read the instructions too but stuff like that and you're like given also like a task and not given the proper ppe to like do things like that so you know there's also not, it's also not like um unheard of for military service members to get like weird cancers too um which is other shout out to like 107 foundation for you know kind of leading the charge on identifying these weird um kind of cancers that um, kind of are more pervasive or more prevalent in military service members things like sarcomas or lymphoma. Leukemia, like these weird, like uh, malignancies that are pretty much pretty solidly related to industrial exposures. Talk about like burn pits overseas. Like, you know, if you're ever exposed to burn pit overseas, definitely get on the burn pit registry, um, sign up for that. But it's all there's like all these you know industrial exposures that we as silver members get exposed to that most people don't.
1: I think that's a that's a great point. I remember on. One mission. I think I've I've said this before, but our uh, our counterparts had started, you know, slaughtering some of the, I think they were geese uh, or some sort of a fowl uh, on an objective and and cooking them for us. And we found a whole bunch of IED making materials, and there were some powders in random rooms. But we figured that some of these powders were supposed to be seasoning and i they might have been they just didn't taste like anything but i remember we were putting it in the the water to boil with some of the meat and i'm just going this doesn't taste like any are we sure that this is seasoning and we're not like ingesting something that we should like you know if someone's going to come and zap me my insides are going to blow up um so i'm still healthy but if in like a couple years i knock off from some weird never heard of cancer you can go back to, to 2015, uh, for, for that one.
0: Oh, uh, and speaking of like deployments, like, um, what the fuck, what are those things called? You know, those like manped like Rippets? IED jammers, the what? Oh, rip. Uh, no, not rip it. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: Oh, not you know the systems.
0: Yeah. Oh, there were Thor systems.
1: Yeah. I think it was Thor. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember like, because I was the, you know, company FSO, I had to fucking carry that thing. I just remember it just like sitting behind my ear and just this high pitch, like yeah, zzz, the entire time. Also, like in the strikers, they rolled right around, and that thing would sit like right in front of me. And you. I can only imagine how much like electromagnetic radiation and things blowing out. So, like, you know, on deployments, you know, the amount of like other exposures that most people don't get, you know, it's kind of what absurd. was it? The,
1: was it the wolfhound, the, the radio uh, collect that? You know, it's supposed to be able to. You're trying to listen into other uh, radio signals that that aren't encrypted. But I mean, that thing had antenna that you know you look like a Christmas tree carrying it around. And I just remember being around all that, going, no, no, no. Like, I don't want to wear my combat diaper. I sure as shit don't want to stand next to that thing. Like, yeah, two things I'm fine with with possibly losing <laughs> like my life forty years from now. I'm fine with not standing next to that if if it catches something. And two, if I step on something and I'm worried about my junk getting blown off. I'm sure there are 10 things that I should be more concerned with if it, if the explosion or something is that bad.
0: But yeah. And that's like the point I'm trying like the point I'm trying to make the military we're probably asked to do, um, without fully understanding the you know future repercussions implications of doing something, we're probably asked to do way more than we probably should. Um, you know, and you should always like question if this is like a safe thing and then, you know, at the end of the day you can't, you're told to do something you have to do it but at the same time like you know protect yourself as much as you can because nobody yeah, else well, looking s- out for you
1: well speaking about the military and and you know protecting yourself when no one else can we pulled out of afghanistan mighty sneakily <laughs> i mean like yeah. 3 a.m and just flip the switch for lights off that's uh that that's a way to go that's a that's a way to, to cut ties
0: yeah, our boy Brian was on the last flight out of Bath. Reverse airfield seizure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've seen funny things. It's a uh, 75th preparing for um, getting their Mustang, mustard stain, um, reclaiming Bagram 30 days from now. <laughs> like, it's yeah, funny,
0: that, but it's probably true.
1: <clears throat> it's also probably terrifying. I know that the three districts I operated out of my first deployment are all now... Uh, Under the control of the Taliban and some of the other districts that uh, I went with, the 75th are also back in the the hands of the Taliban. But I I don't think Afghanistan is in as quite dire a situation as probably Western media likes to portray. I
0: actually haven't seen any of the reporting uh, in mainstream media. Um, You know, I'm not a 24-hour news guy or like mainstream news guy. Um, so I get all my, you know, information from like third party media Instagram. reporting. Yeah. Instagram essentially <laughs> shout out Atlas news, my boy, Atlas news
1: at the, uh, the good places that I watch on the YouTubes are, uh, I think it's called DW, uh, Al Jazeera. I'll, I'll, I'll watch cause like, why not watch the people from the source? um, there's a German one that's pretty good. But I feel like the first couple of days after we pulled out, the Taliban came with, you know, a, a very vengeful take back of some of these districts. And they took a third of the four hundred districts back uh from Afghans. And then in the north there were, you know, a thousand plus Afghan soldiers that were trying to flee into Tajikistan and they keep showing Kabul and people visiting the passport office to get out of dodge but in the last couple of days the afghan military started pushing back and they've still got planes they still got artillery these kandaks have been trained and i think we look at the the afghan soldiers quite negatively for those that have served and been over there only because our experience with them has always been like holding their hand But I think now that they feel some of this patriotism, that they know that there's no one, you know, coming to help them, they're going to step up and realize the type of capabilities uh, that they can employ on a battlefield, especially against a a crew that is relying on, you know, PKMs, RPGs, and now has a couple of MRAPs here and there. But generally, you know, the Afghan army is probably not going to have quite as strict of ROE as we did as Americans, you know, fighting them.
0: Yeah, and I would say, like... For most of like the districts that Taliban has taken back, these are like, you know, middle of nowhere districts with like a A and P or you know, small A and A like outpost of like thirty di- thirty guys or something like that. Like um I think still the po overall population is still like pretty much still, you know, Afghan controlled, but then as far as the landmass, sure there's probably Taliban has probably more influence on like the outskirts and like, the smaller, um, more remote districts. Where there is not a bigger, you know, Afghan presence.
1: No, and the the Taliban have definitely seized some weapons and munitions and you know NVG capabilities, uh, vehicles like MRAPS and Humvees. They, they've got now in, in a small amount uh, of an inventory, but in general, I think the Afghans are going to be a little bit more organized in their fight uh, going against them. They've got their planes. They've still got aircraft. uh, Catejas are going out, I think nightly um, on, on raids, but it'll be interesting to see what it looks like six months from now Mm -hmm. uh, in, in the fighting season and not just in the, everyone freak out that country's collapsing kind of news uh, cycle that we got a week ago.
0: Yeah. It's like, you know, just by giving somebody, like, a, you know, M4 doesn't make somebody a soldier, you know? Something no, with Like, the Taliban, like, giving, like, a goat herder, or like, a AK-47 doesn't exactly make them, like, a warfighter.
1: No, and watching all these videos where, again, I think it's DW News, VICE's uh, put reporters in with local Taliban commanders in all these random districts that are trying to to bring their their flavor of Sharia law to that district and, you know, giving access to women that uh, was unheard of 20 years ago, but is still way less than the Afghan, um, you know, government is providing, you know, as a way to show that we are the good guys type uh, propaganda. But I'm seeing all of these fighters that the Taliban has. The commander is typically around 40 years old, likely has done some fighting, but I'm guessing probably he's hit out most of his time in a madrasa in Pakistan. The fighters all look like they're 16 to 22 to 23. They very much are posing for this Mujahideen type photo op where you know they've, they've got all of their religious uh, memorabilia on them. They're holding their AKs the right way. They're very stoic. But these are the same guys that we were balling up in, you know, droves five years ago that I'm sure the Katehas or the Afghan Kandaks are going to do the exact same when they start employing basic tactics against them because you have an AK and a motorbike. I i don't think that's going to really be that mass on a frontal attack on, you know, a fob the size of uh, of Bagram. Like, that's not going to get it done. So for all of the propaganda that they're throwing out there that probably younger generations are, are soaking in, from like a realistic standpoint, I don't think it's going to be that much of a threat. Now I could eat my words here in six months and Afghanistan will be under complete Taliban control, but I generally have some, um, some comfort in knowing that there are some really good fighters and there are Afghans that love their country that are going to push these guys back.
0: Yeah. I'm always kind of curious, uh, to see, you know, what our involvement is going to be, because it's been very nebulous as far as what what did like Biden say about, um, American supporting like a small American element supporting or something like that supporting Afghan operations like what what does that mean is that going to be like all soft again like you know conventional forces pulling Afghanistan Afghanistan still leaving like a couple thousand like American uh, like special operations overseas to like do target like target raids like who knows what that is going to turn out to look like but uh you know I would be curious to see
1: I think a a great video if individuals are wondering. Even in 2011, what our tactics look like and something that I never considered there. But the documentary is called Kill Capture. And it talks about how Afghans, both like pro-Afghan government and anti, whether it was Al-Qaeda, Haqqani, Taliban, none of them supported or liked the idea of doing raids at night. For some reason, they saw that as less honorable than just fighting in the day. That even though you were going after someone that was a bad or a named target, you sh- still shouldn't go in in the middle of the night and scare people that are innocent or you know take them by surprise. Now that obviously changed in the uh, the, the the subsequent nine years uh, that we were there. But it's an interesting take that I never considered. I always thought, oh, people are fine with night raids. Like, we do this all the time. But not seeing where it came from or maybe what it used to be in the early 2000s to the height of the kill capture kind of soft raids was a really cool 45, 50-minute documentary if anyone out there has time.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I also wonder, like, about, you know, all the contractors now that are overseas, too. Like, what's going to happen to all these contractors
1: I do not care. I think contractors and the like military industrial complex prolonged this war. Um, There were like, there was some report I read a couple years ago where something like the F 35 had a component made in every single one of the 50 states. Now I'm saying that very passionately and I could be off, you know, in my, my assertion there, but it just goes to show that. The military industrial complex that Eisenhower was afraid of, it really has taken over where everyone wants a piece of making something for the Abrams, making something for ships. We're constantly outspending every other nation on the planet for our military. But, like, are we really that far ahead of everyone else? There are countries that have invested more with their radio tech, with China and with Russia. Um, you know you see in Crimea what happens with those technologies it's like are we there yet because we watch these capability videos and I don't feel too too strongly that we're gonna walk right in especially when we've you know had trouble with uh in an insurgent force in Afghanistan for two decades in Iraq for a decade you know, like that's the kind of stuff that I think about and we're just spending all this money and contractors making you know three four ten times as much as a soldier that could do the exact same job why do we need contractors you know seven to one um at at bagram over soldiers that makes zero sense like what is what is this war it's not one you know being run by soldiers
0: yeah it's a political war and like you know at the end of the day the political statement is we have less americans you know american soldiers but still those soldiers placed two to one, three to one by contractors to do the same exact job.
1: Yeah. And, and we're paying so much more. Like we could, you could train an 18, 19 year old to do the exact same kind of stuff on a mine roller, replacing the mine rollers, then paying some contractor who's going to wear some polo over there in Afghanistan, carry around a Glock, make you think that the SF, and then you see they have, you know, an L3 logo on their chest or, you know, whatever the other tech dudes were, um, with their camo hat and you find out that they used to be in the military back in the nineties and they're a desert storm veteran, like stuff nobody cares about, but they share anyway. But it's just frustrating to see that jobs that soldiers should be filling are going to contractors for way more money than the taxpayers should be paying.
0: So I think, you know, next question that I would pose is the, uh, where do you think the military is going to next? Somebody actually asked us on Instagram a couple of days ago about, you know, with the drawdown in Afghanistan, what's the next, you know, hot spot? What do you think is – what's your take?
1: Probably – and I think you, you posted a, a picture of the African continent. I think with the the rise of some of the extremism in some of the, the more destitute parts of that continent, especially how big that continent is, we'll find ourselves getting wrapped up there again. The only problem is what's going to trigger it because – just like the Middle East was pretty far from the U.S. and it took an event like 9/11 to get us in there, I don't see us deploying full brigades or divisions to go fight a a smaller extremist threat in Africa, lest they do something like attack U.S. you know home soil. And I just don't see it happening.
0: Yeah, that was my th- my, my, that was my hot take is that you know we'll have a little bit more or counterinsurgency, probably like smaller deployments training deployments in, like, in Africa, training, like, the, you know, the african Africans, and still having a soft presence targeting, like, Boko Haram um, and and Somalia, uh, those guys, but I think we'll also do some more in the Southeast Asia, um, like Indonesia, for example, Mm. and then definitely more, like, some uh, low-visibility stuff in South America is that South America is, like, rapidly destabilizing.
1: I could see that. The the thing I'd be interested to see is the role that the SFABs will play, because we brought the SFABs up to speed, you know, two to, to three years ago. And without a war going on, I'm wondering what's gonna happen to them because I felt that the Afghan government was ill prepared to fight only because every operation that I was on, you know, you had that fifty percent mark where you had to bring Afghans on the missions. Um, Or even on my first deployment, it was you just had to have an Afghan. That's all you needed was like, you know, one ANP truck and it was a joint coalition. But we never trained them. I would love if we went back to, you know, the SF teams training the more advanced, uh, uh, you know, indigenous force um, uh, fighting elements. And then you would have like SFABs training the large conventional side of the house, you have rangers doing their raids and then you might only need uh, a small conventional element for security purposes and then to serve as like uplift. I would love to see that as a mechanism that we would use for our next infill into whatever country that we're fighting either, you know, uh, host nation force or um, some rebels.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think it'd be an interesting model. I think it's probably, you know, ultimately it's going to be like whatever kernel or, general officer wants to make their mark on the future of the military, whoever gets the most political say, which I've only, only like recently in the last couple of years, I started appreciating more and more the fact that a lot of the decisions made like policy decisions are made by like just senior level officers who are trying to make general or trying to get their second star, you know, and it's like a very political and kind of uh, not really what's best for the force or what's best for, you know, for soldiers, what's best for th- their careers.
1: Oh, absolutely. Everybody wants to have a deployment on their OER, especially if they're a field grade or higher. And you see that the generals don't differ much in their strategy. The same ones that were in Afghanistan in 2011 preaching coin are the ones that saying, oh, well, I always thought that coin could be improved here, and I think I was proved right. It's like, no, at the time, you, you said nothing. And I'm not like naming any general here in particular, but there are enough generals out there where anyone's probably had some face time with go, these individuals might be hot shit in their past lives, but right now they're just yes men. And save a couple units out there that all they care about is, okay, well, I'm going to get my second star. I hope I take over a a major infantry division or a major division. If not, I'm going to go to a maneuver center after the Maneuver Center, will I be, you know, a lieutenant general uh, up at the Pentagon or will I have a more active role at a corps? And it's just it's the gamesmanship. It's what I really disliked about trying to get your rating um, when you're uh, a company level officer and being the number one platoon leader. I've always said that I don't care what my rating was so long as my platoons performed and I had good relationships and, and we were lethal. That's all I cared about. And whatever ranking I got afterwards was like a a perk. But people that go in there fighting for it, it's clear that a lot of them end up being those senior level officers that you're going, who the fuck thought it was a good idea to put this guy in charge of an infantry brigade?
0: Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I've noticed it in the hospital too. It's kind of, it's very annoying. Um, in the hospital, I probably shouldn't air out this much like dirty laundry or like air out some of these, these like ideas but basically the hospital at Madigan has been on like reduced capabilities and reduced inpatient beds because a lot of the nursing support has been tasked out to do COVID vaccinations uh, in support of like the Biden initiative to get the whatever the 100 million or whatever the initiative is but um, it's really a shame because you know the hospital is only limited to like 20 to 30 inpatient beds and patient care is suffering because some you know some 05 or 06 in the hospital decided you know, they wanted to get that bullet on their OER saying that, you know, they helped facilitate several like X number of COVID vaccinations in support of, you know, the presidential initiative. And because in doing so, like just because somebody made that decision, you know, patients and people are not getting the care that they deserve. And and us residents aren't getting the, quite frankly, some of the training that we deserve because we only have like three patients on their list that we're taking care of. So ultimately, there's like all these second and third effects because one one like you know person wanted to hit that OER bullet, and it's just kind of a shame, and it's you know just pervasive. I think in the military in general.
1: And you talk about OER bullets. I would challenge anyone out there that has had maybe three to four positions in the military that is thinking about transitioning. Look at your OER NCOER bullets, and what Bobby just said had so many people inoculated. That's not going to be a bullet you're putting on a real resume. So when you put this kind of stuff on your OER, NCOER, and you translate that to a resume, people do not care about these quantifiable measurements uh, that, that we use in the military to show competency. They're going to look at, did you have an action? Did you, you know, have the, the correct conduct? And what was, your, uh, what was the, the result? And you have to write it in a way that shows a civilian exactly what you did. And, and these kind of you know had a uh, 120 out of 128 soldiers qualify expert on their weapon system. Cool. That nobody in the civilian world that's hiring for a consultant is gonna look at that and go, I'm gonna trust this guy to invest, you know, this three million dollar project in. So I would take a look if I were you listening and you were thinking about getting out, or even if you weren't. Look at what a real resume says and then look at your NCOER OERs and go, wow, can I spot the, the huge discrepancy here on how people write on the outside world and what we value here in the military?
0: Yeah, it's completely different. And then it's just like, you know, at the end of the day, if you're competing for, you know, that top rated position in, in your unit, it's probably not, um, you know, you're probably not doing the right thing all the time.
1: That no, but you're taking other people's product and saying it's your own. Um, you're throwing your peers underneath the bus. It's a small world. The military is small. You're going to run against these, or run against. You're going to run into these people later again. And that that negative inference that someone might draw when they see your name will stick with you. So, like, treat your peers accordingly, but, you know, at the same time, don't, if if chasing that number one bullet is turning you into a dick, Like, that's on you.
0: Yeah. Always be, you know, be a good dude. Be cool. Yeah. Just be
1: cool. Um, Oh, uh, speaking about Americans and patriotism and such, what do you think about Shikari Richardson being suspended from the U.S. Olympic team? Our number one female 100-meter sprinter. Like, my mind's blown for smoking weed.
0: Here's the thing. I have zero sympathy because you know what the rules are you know that you're going to go compete in the u.s trials you literally made a decision to smoke weed before going to this trial where you knew you were getting drug tested like i have honestly zero sympathy for it and that might be like an unpopular take on it because you know oh weeds like you know it's it's cool it's like you know it's a plan it doesn't really you know it's not performance enhancing but then it's the rules like if you swapped out weed for testosterone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not obviously like you know, not the exact comparison, but it's breaking the rules. And in the, the day, you know the the rules that you're you're operating in. And then when you choose deliberately to make it, you know, to to break that rule, you shouldn't be surprised that you're losing your chance because that's literally, you know, that's a decision that you made.
1: I definitely see that you've got to take personal responsibility and ownership and I I know that she has she came out and she made a statement that I knew what I was doing when I did it uh, and and what the risks were it's one of those she gambled and she lost but as someone that wants to see America clean up uh, in Tokyo here in 2 weeks and I can't remember if it's the Olympic uh US Olympic Committee or the Olympics in general that banned the use of that drug but if I was an American I'd be pissed there's a lot of really qualified sprinters out there on the female side but I don't want our number one sitting on the sideline I get that it's weed and I and we can talk about the testosterone thing because that's impacted other female athletes but really like it, it, for, for for the drug it has to you know satisfy like three things it has to be like a performance uh, give you someone a competitive advantage. Uh, it has to be I, – I think a drug is another one and there's like another th- – there's a third factor, or a third prong of that test. I don't know how weed satisfies two out of the three, but they said that weed satisfied two out of the three. It's like watch out for the skateboarding team. Um, swim team, hello. Like they do that all the time. I think Michael Phelps said that all four of them were high. When they won their gold medal match or gold medal swim against France in that huge relay, like, you know, nine years ago. I just think weed is one of those ones that's silly, especially if you want to see medals, because so many athletes are doing it. The NBA no longer cares about testing, the NFL doesn't. I get that they're the rules, and I'm all about the rules and, you know, being followed, but it's just frustrating as an American knowing that your number one runner. Is no longer competing at the Olympics. They could have put her in on the four by one and still chose not to. Like it just seems from a uh, a, like a public kind of looking in magic eight ball, like something is broken here.
0: I mean, you, I, I see that, but at the same time, though, like that is the rules, and you know, why aren't we like blaming her instead of blaming the system for like for breaking the rules? Well, sure, we hold like her- athletes accountable for like you know testing positive for testosterone or for steroids. We hold those athletes accountable and, and uphold those punishments. But then, you know, what- well,
1: her reason why was her biological mother had died the week prior, and I get that. Like you can write that off as that as an excuse. Like she still knew the repercussions of smoking weed, but it just goes back to weed in general. We've had the conversation on a number of podcasts. Well, then why isn't alcohol? on that list? Why isn't cigarette smoking on that list? Weed is one of those ones that, you know, 18 states, I think thus far have come along and said, okay, it's not as bad as as everyone thought. It's just frustrating because I want to see the number one runner out there. But to that point about testosterone, there are a number of women that are banned from these Olympics because of having higher testosterone. And where this is frustrating for me is, okay, gets gets busted for smoking pot testosterone levels fine these other women have naturally higher testosterone levels but then they're banned but the the trans lifter from New Zealand who is a born male transition female is still able to compete like I don't know where the testosterone benefit comes in you had I don't know when I think it's Lauren Hubbard transitioned but she had decades of of, of functioning as a higher male before she started taking the testosterone blockers to have you know whatever the the required level is, but then naturally born women can't compete because they naturally have a higher testosterone level. Like, are we going to an Olympics where it's not going to matter what gender it is and it's just going to be on your T levels and that's going to differentiate between male competitors and female, or what?
0: I think that's kind of the uh, the trend is going that way in terms of. Um, trying to put an objective measure into, um, qualifying, you know, someone to compete at a certain level. Um, the interesting part for like the, the, um, the, you know, the biological females that have higher testosterone levels, um, you know, part of that is like, uh, the genetic lottery, you know, like some athletes, you know, more or less have won the genetic lottery, um, for, you know, having higher preponderance of fast-switch muscles, having, like, a, you know, genetic lottery for, like, having, um, you know, like, um, more biomechanically, you know, advantageous, uh, you know, joints and shit like that. So, at a certain point, like, it is literally just, you just you're lucky enough and had the right, you know, amalgamation of genes that created, like, a super athlete, which is part of being, you know, part of competing, you know, some people are just naturally gifted and have better, genes to become athletes and then you know when we try to like uh, equalize the playing field for whatever you know for like one factor out of the multiple multiplicity of factors then you know probably like does a disservice to the athletes that you know we're just lucky enough to be born that way
1: i'm i'm completely fine if we want to open up the olympic games to trans athletes i honestly don't care i just want to see sport cool and I think that there are uh, enough women out there where if people are saying "Oh, we're going to have trans women that are just going to take every single position we'll wait and see how, how Lauren Hubbard does because I still think she's only ranked 7th in the world going into the game so I don't think she's going to meddle it's always these like random complaints about oh someone took the podium spot in Connecticut for girls track who cares about girls track in Connecticut type argument you know, like they're not taking the number one spot to go to FSU but I just feel badly when women that have done nothing except train their entire lives to get to this moment because of a natural occurring phenomenon in their body with their testosterone levels are prevented from competing against you know the whole the whole reason that we have you know a, a title 9 it was a title 10 title 9 for for women's sports like that seems counterintuitive to to then prevent them because they have higher testosterone like you mentioned all the other factors that women could have that make them faster i mean like Katie Ledecky, I'm, no one's made any uh, accusations against her, but at, as, as a 15 year old, she was crushing everyone in all these endurance swims, and she is still crushing the world. Like I'm sure there's something uh, biological about her body that makes her just an incredible swimmer. Like whatever hard work she's done, whether it's her shoulder muscles, she has a weird kick when she swims. It's not consistent. Her her pull is so powerful that's much better than probably you know 99.99999% of women swimmers because there's something about her that just swimming in her click. So, but if we had prevented her because if the Olympics were to go, oh, you, you're, your shoulders can't be more than two inches wider than your hips, like it just seems arbitrary because no, in swimming, that makes a huge difference. So I want the Olympic committee to get its shit together because I want to watch the Olympics. I want to enjoy the Olympics. But again, going back to Shikari Richardson, I want to see the best performing. It's the reason why I don't have a problem with Lance Armstrong taking all of these performance enhancers against the Tour de France when everyone else in the Tour de France was was juicing on something. Like if if we're just honest with ourselves, I'm sure there are NFL players that are on something that ten years from now will be what we talk about in the gym is the normal stuff, whether it's either the endurable, the, the rad 140, the the Carterine, the Andering, like the, uh, the those kind of SARMs. Like those were were you know quiet hushed discussions ten years ago. Now they're mainstream. Like what are we going to find out 10, ten years from now was mainstream um, is my question. And just like just let them do whatever they want. I just want to see fast, big people run.
0: I think that's a good like, point they make up or they bring up about um, just letting it become a free for all because you know there's always it's like the arms race of performance enhancing drugs and drug testing is that the the drug makers and the drug designers are always one step ahead of the of the detectors and the tests like in the Tour de France back in like that in like 2010 when when Lance won all those titles all those all those samples were like you know were clean samples because they we just hadn't invented the technology or the, you know, science to detect these, these drugs. But then, you know, fast forward like five or six years, they went back and retested them and found them. So it's like, you know, at, the, at some point you just have to just be realistic about it. And I get like, you know, we talk about having fair sport and everything like that, but you know, maybe at the highest levels, they should, we should, just, you know, I think culturally you should realize that even at the highest levels, people are still probably Taking something or there are some advantages uh, that people are taking that not everyone has, and that you know if we just say let's just have like the super juice Olympics and just let it open up to everybody then maybe we'll see what happens and you know but then you have to consider the uh, like the social implications of saying that you know at, prof- at the highest level of sport that you can do whatever you want, but then you have these kids uh, and that 's like you know the classic argument against performance uh, like PEDs in sport is that you know, you have kids or like high schoolers that are forced to take PEDs to try and keep up with their peers to make the next level. Well, yeah, really well there was,
1: it. there was the family in Texas that their son was on steroids and he killed himself and they blame steroids. And it was discussed on either the house or the Senate floor that steroids had an adverse impact on, on your, your mental health. And it caused, you know, this to happen. And the the counter is, well, no it didn't like there were other issues this individual you know did they have a bad game before they did it did they realize that all these years of work and taking these drugs weren't going to get them to play pro i think the bigger issue is we don't have honest discussions with our youth to tell them early enough in their life you're not going to be pro you are you don't have what it takes because again we're in this kind of trophy generation where everyone can be pro you know we spend so much money on the new shoes the the sports costs everyone plays travel now when rec was probably the best that they should have ever done and so to be told that you aren't good enough is no longer something that parents can tell their children they can't tell them no and if drugs are what makes you know the pro athletes pro then every other kid is going to want to do it like i see that argument but i also think it's crap you know that i think if if we got back to parenting effectively and said no, John, you, you, are, you don't have what it takes to play pro. Just be happy with playing minor league ball. I think sport serves two purposes. One, to get people in shape, like young children to grow up doing something physical so they have a, you know, a, a muscular structure on their body that you know, can take them 20, 30 years before they start getting super obese. And the other one is just basic competition. But I think too many people think that they're you know, the next Messi or Ronaldo of their sport.
0: You know, I you know, I see both sides of it, and you know, I personally, you know, I like I would would not mind seeing like the Super Juice Olympics to see what you know what records can be broken and see like this is the, the maximum of human potential, reaching the ultimate of human potential. Um, but you know, you have to consider like the second, third of effects of that as well, and then you know, this is probably um, there there should be a like a discussion at the societal and cultural level too regarding performance enhancing drugs because it's only in America that we've culturally decided that, you know, processing drugs are like not good for you and probably not good. But if you like look at like, you know, probably like Russia and China and North Korea and like all these other like governments and cultures where it's like, it's fine. Um, and it's like kind of, you know, just part of the culture that it's accepted. Then, you know, is it really worse off for those people or those kids to start early? Like you don't, who knows, you know, I wonder if anyone's ever like, looked at that information or that data and, and crunched those numbers. But you have to like wonder like why we've culturally decided that it's well it's bad. because
1: i mean president biden when he was talking about mark mcguire when he was in the senate was saying you know i i missed out on playing d1 or when i was you know playing did someone take a spot that i could have played and i always thought that it, because it, i wasn't good enough you know and i'm finding out that the person i was competing against was on drugs like it's like well who, again who cares whether whether that person was on drugs or not, I think people have the misconception that taking drugs automatically makes you ten times better. We've we've talked about the effects of, of steroid use and SARMs use. You still have to put in a ton of work. It doesn't transform you into a superhuman. You have to. You're going to recover quicker, but you have to put in ten times much as much work to start really seeing those improvements. It's not like these people take one pill and they're walking around like Neo from the Matrix.
0: Yeah, but that's like, you know, the culturally uh, and societal level that, you know, that's the conception or the, you know, understanding of performance enhancing drugs that is like this magical pill, which also, like, probably speaks a lot about our society, too, because we are like always looking for that one pill to, like, you know, help you lose weight <laughs> without doing the work to lose weight, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that, I just wish our mi-
1: society. You know, our our military, for instance, I think you shared an article uh, a month ago. Um, or maybe even two months, ago since we've had all of our back-to-back-to-back podcasts. But I think it was the Chinese government was starting to look at research into improving the, you know, the genome of their soldiers, or taking steroids to make them bigger, stronger, faster. If we're going to spend billions of dollars on our government uh, soldiers. Why aren't we making our government soldiers just superhuman? I mean, we, like, foreign forces should be scared of us because of our military tech. They should fear us because we all look like Arnold Schwarzenegger running around on Predator. Like, that's the kind of set that I want to see. I want to see every single soldier doing, Dylan, you son of a bitch. Like, that should be how we greet people in the military in gyms. We're just jacked like do not mess with us this isn't arnold schwarzenegger total recall where he slimmed down this is predator uh you know this is commando i want i want people fearing us because of our physical mass
0: yeah you know i remember like you know walking around the the coughs in 375 and then compare and contrast like the average joe and you know second id kind of, and compare and contrast that with like a ranger you can, you, there's a physical like there's an once you can see a physical, like a visible difference in both the physique and just how they carry themselves too. I I think it's kind of interesting too, like in soft in general too. You can tell somebody who's like kind of soft, they just look different.
1: Right. And it's not just the, you because you have muscle heads in the conventional army, the guys that are pulling over 500, 600 pounds off the ground and, you know, they're putting up four plates on bench but you know those guys can't run 18 minutes on the two miles. It's like you see people that are slightly leaner in regiment, but you know they're going to run a 35-minute five-mile. There's just a – there's that, again, that military functional fit-looking athlete coming out of soft that you don't get on the conventional side of the house. And, again, not any part due to performance-enhancing drugs, but I'm just thinking imagine those dudes on performance-enhancing drugs. Now take that to the rest of the Army – and, you know, this isn't. You know, we're not an anabolic A here, but you know what I'm saying. Like that, the trickle down effect, the trickle down economics of this would be, we would be a, a massively fit force.
0: Yeah, um you know, I've, I've always kind of advocated for that fact that um you know, in soft especially, like you already have all these resources dedicated to performing, enhancing performance, both like you know, physically recovery. You know, you have doctors, you have a battalion you actually have a battalion surgeon that's actually a doctor, you know. Um I don't think it would be too far out of the out of like too far reaching to have like a you know prescribed testosterone or performance enhancing um that's supervised by a physician. Because in the civilian side you just go to a TRT clinic <laughs> and you yeah. just pay cash for it. Same thing. But in the military, you know it's frowned upon and it's not supported to do performance enhancing drugs. Whereas, you know, you could argue that's much safer much for better for longevity. If you have a doctor or somebody that actually is trained in prescribing it, actually supervising it, rather than you have, you know, some guys that are buying some steroids from Mexico online and doing it themselves, yeah. without, <laughs> yeah. you, know, without, you know, without proper like supervision or yeah, it or comes medically. in a
1: a brown uh, duffel bag uh, from the Ukraine <laughs> and you're you're seeing it in the cough. I would uh, I would make this point on the the testosterone use in the military. We have to take you know, a parachute to jump from an airplane. Arnold Schwarzenegger from a, I don't know, C-37, 737, taking off the ground, on that speed, was able to jump out of the wheelbase into a Marsh-Sands parachute. Got up and then went and kicked the crap out of the person that abducted his daughter. If that doesn't tell you the power of muscle, I don't know what will. Rambo... I mean, sure, Rambo 1, he was good. Rambo 2, that dude got slammed against a plane and missed his DZ by clicks. He was getting just absolutely throttled. Cut his cord, landed on his reserve, and then still hiked it to free those Vietnam vets. If that doesn't tell you the power of muscle, I don't know what will.
0: Uh, But, you know, I think... At the end of the day, the, the take is that, um, you know, America, as a society, we've created this cultural norm where performance testing drugs are, like, a bad thing, where, you know, if you look at other countries' cultures, it's more accepted and looked at as, like, a, you know, if you're not doing it, you're not trying to, you know, but just in our culture, though, we've just assigned this arbitrary, you know, negative connotation to performance testing drugs, whereas other countries are just more, you know, acceptable, and, you know, we have to wonder... Um the implications of such a you know implications of that cultural norm when you like you talked about like looking at China, who you know is no is is looking at you know doing gene editing and gene uh enhancement for their future soldiers to make them stronger, faster, and more lethal, whereas you know in America we're talking about a twenty percent obesity rate in the in the armed forces, so you know probably losing somewhere along the way.
1: Yeah, I mean, and in Warhammer, there's a gene seed that they take for ultramarines that transform them into space marines, or excuse me, that creates space marines, ultramarines being one of the sex And, you know, they have uh, two hearts um, in their bodies. Uh, they stand at over eight feet tall, um, and they live for an eternity. So I think we, we really have there's – a there's no limit to this ceiling that we can go after. And then if you get warped by the forces of chaos – your powers only increase. I mean, just look at what happened to Horace. Check it out. What's up? Warhammer nerd. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap it with that. Um I guess this is Rick and Morty we could talk about, but I don't know if people are even listening at this point after our long ramblings about
1: Yeah, you can you can tune out. If you want to hear what we think about Rick and Morty, which is the real hard hitting news of the podcast, uh, uh we'll go into it.
0: Yeah, we'll finish Rick and Morty. We'll finish some Rick and Morty talk. Dude, I'm really I, digging this new season.
1: I it's it's so much. Last season was pretty fucking boring. This season, yeah. I'm enjoying uh, significantly. I thought the last episode um, with Summer and and Rick going off yeah. to the three planets that were essentially going to explode was really really funny. Um, and then I thought the rip off Captain Planet was was Planet awesome. Tina. It was just that was great great, great '90s throwback there.
0: Yeah, this like uh these last couple of episodes have been really good. Um the second one I wanna say wasn't nearly as good I thought. Which um, one was that? Um which one was it? The uh, one where they're like they are like killing the decoys and they're all the decoys. Oh, I, I was like, this I, is a little sing- too meta I, I didn't get it really. No.
1: And and was it C uh Rick C 135 is the main one? I kept thinking you were gonna catch up to the main Rick. Yeah. Um, and his family, and then every single time you got invested in one of them going, oh this this must be them. It's like no, like they're dead <laughs> next, yeah,
0: yeah, I didn't really uh get that episode. wasn't a huge fan of that. The first one was pretty funny, um with the like the time travel and then like <laughs> oh. he comes with the the goats and then he comes back in the future, and then Jesse like loses Jessica, which is you know his thing, and this last yeah. Plantina, and I that was hilarious
1: mr uh was it Mr Nimbus yeah oh god damn it he controls the cops Oh, jerry i i don't know oh he, he gave you the nod hi welcome <laughs> <laughs> that was a really great What what is everyone's uh you know thing with these techno birds like oh god i thought we were done with this oh yeah pretty good pretty if, good
0: season digging it so far it,
1: it's been good uh loki's also been really good i know we were talking about um i've I've had a lot of fun watching the loki and the variant stuff uh, uh if you, i haven't if, watched any of it oh uh, Yeah. I thought, I thought though, this season of Rick and Morty was, was better. I mean, last season, the, the dragon episode was whatever. I I just thought a lot of them were kind of boring. Um, and like were the jokes were kind of tired. Like it kept doing the same kind of Rick and Morty type script. And this seems like it's just, we're going to, Rick's are going to die. Morty's are going to die. And I feel like we've seen that over and over again. Um, Especially going through these last couple episodes.
0: Yeah. But, you know, I do enjoy seeing some of the uh, the character development in Morty, too. And then he's becoming, like, more and more self-sufficient and more, you know, like, self-confident uh, and, you know, challenging Rick more and telling Rick to, like, fuck off. He's not, not going to do that. <laughs> and then Rick has to, like, find a replacement for Morty, like, with Summer.
1: Summer's been great. She's, I mean, she- foul mouth though. That's the... That's something that I've gotten. Um, Summer's character, I felt like season one was kind of just there as the annoying sister, like an Angelica mm-hmm. from the Rudgrats. Yeah. Uh, now she's like a defined character. And I really don't mind that Beth and Jerry have taken a backseat in the storyline. Because last season, they had a pretty, between their whole like moving to divorce Uh, character arc I was getting tired of them stepping in and their shitty parenting but now it's like they're just sex positive and uh, they have a couple of jokes here and there and that's the extent that we see them on the episode yeah
0: I've always hated like the Jerry like narratives it's like kind of dumb I thought the
1: the the wooden Jerry in the post credit scene was was really funny like (sighs) why won't I die (laughs) I'm
0: not I'm not a big Jerry fan just his character kind of sucks in my but, you know, whatever.
1: Well, his character is a lot like Cyril, because I know they're both voiced by the same actor. Um, Who? Oh, was it Bill Parnell? Cyril. He was, yeah, Cyril from uh, Archer. Oh,
0: oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it's same kind of, like, uh, a not very masculine male character that always gets yeah, shit on. yeah, yeah. 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 yeah but I know look I'm seasons. looking f- yeah, I'm looking forward to the next episode. I, I like how they're doing the cold opening releases on YouTube, uh, and adult Swim where You can watch the first, you know, two to three minutes, of really? yeah, the next episode and they all look great. Um, like I watched, uh, what that was part of my 35 minute YouTube series today. Uh, it's mm. like two and a half minutes and, uh, yeah, this one's going to be like a Morty and Rick one, uh, which is fun.
0: All right. Uh... I guess we should call it that. Point. Uh, call it now. Let's yeah, we've really
1: we've. Ex- if you are still listening, like you are a you are a trooper.
0: All right. Um, any other announcements? Apply for the scholarship. Apply for that. Yeah, it's the only one I got. Uh, check out ten thousand. They've been great supporting us. So, uh, check out the shorts. Tackle short is a very nice short. I will say that myself. Um, so really check it out. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Enjoy the summer. Get after your fitness.
1: Yeah, and we're not advocating taking SARMs or steroids if you're still in the military. uh We're only talking about the positives and the negatives of uh, such use. We do not advocate for any illegal substance abuse or use.
0: They're very true. And Hashtag that is disclaimer. a disclaimer. Yeah, not medical advice. Anything in this uh in the show is not medical advice. All right. Yeah. See you guys next time. <laughs> Peace. Later.